Russia may have avoided an insurrection over the weekend, but there are still a lot of questions about what actually transpired. Joining us to break down the, uh, well, what is being described as an attempted coup in the Ukraine-Russia war is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good morning, Sue and Andy. Thank you so much for being with us. An important morning today to talk about this. What exactly transpired over the weekend? It's some fascinating information coming out of this war. Yes, you can say the, the day that shook the world. Um, so on Saturday morning, uh, Prigozhin, uh, leader of the Wagner Mercenary Group, led a revolt. Uh, this has been long brewing, uh, his dispute uh, with the Ministry of Defense, specifically Minister Shoigu and General Gerasimov, the, the top Russian soldier. Put, uh, Bukosian's gripe has been that the war has been run in an ineffective manner, that the Russian Ministry of Defense, these, these top people are corrupt and ineffective. And basically, it reached a boiling point on Saturday. Now, there was lead-ups to that. The bigger political thing for Prigozhin was the Ministry of Defense was uh, trying to get uh, the Wagner Group to sign contracts with the Ministry of Defense and formally put them under their control. Up until now, they have been sort of a semi-independent player, and that was going to kind of clip Prigozhin's political wings. Anyways, he decided that's it. He's marching, and he started. He took a, went to Rostov-on-Don. It was a major city inside of Russia, which uh, is a logistics hub for the Russian army. Came in relatively unopposed. There had been some fighting a little bit. Yes, there were some airplanes shot down and some soldiers killed. Yes. But on the whole, it was a fairly quiet operation. And then Prigozhin decided to march further toward Moscow, and he got as far as 200 kilometers south of Moscow. At which point, uh, Lukashenko, a leader of Belarus, negotiated a deal, basically avoiding what could have been a showdown, potentially a small civil war, or who knows how big of a civil war. And therefore, we had a deal Saturday afternoon that diffused the situation and basically uh, uh, allowed uh, Prigozhin to go to Belarus uh, with all charges dropped, live in exile, and his troops to go back to the front line, sign those contracts with the Ministry of Defense, and all would be forgiven. Mm. That's the way it ended Saturday evening. Now, today, Monday, we have a few developments. One, what we haven't seen is Prigozhin. We haven't seen him show up in Belarus. We haven't seen him anywhere, not since Saturday late afternoon. And we also uh, don't know exactly uh, about the criminal situation, because the, today the Russian prosecutor's office in Moscow said that the criminal case, the investigation against Prigozhin, has not been closed, which is at variance with the deal. The other point we see this morning is Minister Shoigu, the butt of Prigozhin's revolt, is shown in a film, undated, no sound, but it shows uh, Shoigu being briefed by his generals. So the signal there coming from Putin is uh, my defense minister is still my defense minister. And because there have been questions, you know, would he be replaced? Would there be a shakeup? And that's still not a closed door on that one. But as of today, there is not a shakeup. But we'll see where that goes. And then on the foreign side of things, the Russian De- deputy foreign minister went to uh, Beijing 
and uh, received Chinese assurances that they would support Putin, and uh, they called for stability in Russia. So that's where we stand Monday morning. Mm. So to have uh, Prigozhin and, uh, you know, the Wagner group uh, kind of put to the sidelines, spending time in Belarus, as quickly as this changed, Andrew, what do you think was done to, to put the brakes on this? And I've heard maybe some cash was thrown the way of the Wagner group. What do we know? Well, we just know that um, there was there was an attempt, I think both sides, but like Prigozhin on one side and Putin and the Ministry of Defense on the other side, realized that neither had the balance of forces to be decisive and that if they if this was not walked away from there could be a very bloody civil war and bad for everybody in russia including Prigozhin and so on because it could spiral spiral out of control so the idea was and this is where i think lukashenko interestingly enough played a very interesting mediator role in this to kind of calm things down basically you had a showdown and a walk back and, uh, and, and, and I think it was just self-interest of all concerned not to get things spiraling out of control. And now, we don't, now, of course, while on the surface in Moscow today, we see stability emerging. And then the, the restrictions that were imposed on the weekend uh, have been lifted generally. And, and life returns to normal on the surface. But you know that behind the scenes, in all the corridors of power in Russia, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of after-action analysis and deal-making in terms of where we go from now. Because the shakeup of the defense ministry, well, that's still possible, but we'll see. Right now, the signal is no, no, Shoigu is in charge. But the question is, Putin has to now realize, he's in comeback mode. He can say that Putin has been down, he's, he's down but not out. So he's, he's in comeback mode. But he has got, he's now realizing that he's, he's in a difficult situation. This war has hurt him. Yeah. And the question is, will he try to end this war faster now? Because I think before he felt comfortable, he could just let it go on and on, wear out the West, wear out the Ukrainians. That question now is, can he, can he sustain it on his side now? For how long? Will he double down? Will he increase? Because he could still potentially increase Russian military action against the Ukrainians on this, in this war. Or would he be more amenable at reaching a solution mm. but then would the ukrainians be amenable at reaching a solution lots of games lots of the game is in play there's a lot of factors um this this is one day in, in many days that we're going to be watching this andrew could we call this the tsn turning point of the war do you think uh it's a, it is a historical point it is i i, I use the term that the, the day that shook the world because there is a book called the, the 10 days that shook the world which is the russian revolution which was pivotal in ending Russia's involvement in World War I. Now, we haven't got that far because this didn't blow up. It was contained, yeah? So, uh, it, but it's certainly an historical moment. Uh, it, it business is, is not what it was. Today, Monday, is not what it was on Friday. Mm. There's a different situation. And it's too early to predict where it's going to go, but I can tell you it's been an inflection point, for sure. And, wow. and, and could this be, I know we've had an immense amount of global support for the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military and, and freedom fighters to, to, to a large extent. Could this be the, the shot in the arm and the, the sign of the, uh, the cracks in the armor of Russia to, to even increase that uh, support? Well, uh, it, uh, there's a cautionary element to this. Well, while yes, they, I mean, Biden and Zelensky spoke and he's going to, there's talk about enhancing the long-range missile support. And there's a meeting in Copenhagen today, and there will there will be 
calls and, and announcements of greater Western support, which is kind of consistent to where it's been. But there's another side of that equation, uh, which is also in play now, is that over the weekend, people realized that if there is a governance implosion in Russia, who controls the nuclear arsenal? And this is a question that was raised in 1991 during the, the coup attempt on Gorbachev. Uh, that's a very serious problem, and nobody wants a governance implosion in Russia. The West wants the Ukrainians to succeed against the Russians. They want the Russian government to be weaker, the economy to be weaker, the military to be weaker, but not an implosion, because an implosion works against everyone's interests because of the nuclear dimension. So it's a balance. And I think in Copenhagen, uh, they're going to be talking about how do we, how do we balance on the knife's mm-hmm. edge here? Fascinating, ongoing discussion. We'll be chatting with you again, no doubt. Thank you so much for breaking it down, Andrew. Appreciate it. You're, you're very welcome. Glad to join you again. Thank you. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, expert in Eastern European affairs.